This is The Guardian. When actor Matthew Perry's death was announced a little over a week ago, social media was immediately flooded with fans sharing their favourite clips from friends. Anybody know a good tailor? You need some clothes altered? No, no, I'm just looking for a man to draw on me with chalk. But amongst them, there was another one that went viral. It was the actor appearing on the British current affairs show Newsnight in 2013. I, I'm, a, I'm a drug addict. I'm a person that if I have a drink, I can't stop. And so it would be following your ideology that I'm choosing to do that. That yeah, I'm choosing... That's exactly my... Not my ideology, it is my belief. Yes, you do choose. Having fought his own addictions for many years, he became an advocate for a rehab-based approach to drug crime and found himself debating the science of addiction with the journalist Peter Hitchens. People, people have problems with drugs and drink. People, people like taking them and they don't want to stop taking them, but it doesn't mean they have a disease that needs to be treated. So the American mean, Medical Association is wrong in your well, opinion? If, if, if the American Association says it's a disease, yes, yes of course they're wrong. Ten years on, our understanding of the complex causes and impacts of drug and alcohol dependency have advanced considerably. So today, we're exploring the latest science of addiction with one of the leading researchers in the field. I'm The Guardian science editor, Ian Sample, and this is Science Weekly. I was intrigued by... How was it possible that certain drugs can actually lead a person to actually completely disrupt their lives? That explanation given by many that this is just a choice behavior made absolutely no sense. Dr. Nora Volkov is the director of the U.S. National Institute on Drug Abuse. And as a researcher, she's pioneered the use of brain imaging to investigate how substance use affects brain functions. She also happens to be the great-granddaughter of Russian revolutionary Leon Trotsky, but it's a different family experience that has motivated her life's work. My maternal uh, grandfather, my uncle, um, both of them were alcoholics, and my maternal grandfather uh, committed suicide out of the distress of not being able to control his alcoholism. I asked Nora how much the science of addiction has changed over the course of her career. The science of addiction has, has changed quite dramatically since I started working on it, where, where the culprit was basically delegated only to the reward centers on the brain. And it became clear that there were many areas of the brain that are disrupted by addiction. And we also have come to uh, understand in much greater granularity how the damage to these areas of the brain results in the behaviors and the changes that we see in persons that are addicted. So in the past, we would say, well, it's a disease of the brain because we can see the abnormalities in the brain. But now we're able to understand how those abnormalities of the brain translate into the behavioral and emotional changes that an addicted person has. And this is interesting because in that clip of Matthew Perry on Newsnight talking about addiction, which was recorded 10 years ago, the British journalist Peter Hitchens is questioning this idea that there's objective evidence of addiction in, in the body. From what you're saying, it seems that that's actually now pretty conclusively proven. 
Yes, indeed. And I would say that 10 years ago, it was also conclusively understood that there are biochemical and functional changes and even structural changes in the brain that are, that become addicted. But then the counter argument people were making were there are brain changes for other things that are not diseases. And that's why it became so very important to understand not those, what the nature of those changes were, but how those changes basically translated into the behavior and an, an emotional disarray that people that are addicted experience. So its consequences can now be understood on the basis of how drugs influence these uh, functional networks. So let's go into the science a bit more deeply. What's actually happening in the brain of someone who is addicted? Earlier, you mentioned reward centers and so on. Yes, indeed. The first target in drugs is the reward center. Um, And that's why people take drugs. It makes them feel good. So you stimulate a reward center and you feel great, but only when the drug is actually in your system. Once the drug leaves, What happens is those brain reward centers reset themselves in such a way that now when the drug is not on board, you feel worse uh, and you need much stronger stimulation in order to have the same experiences that you had before you started to take the drug. But the system that is affected by drugs, that actually the chemical, the main chemical is dopamine. So dopamine stimulates the reward centers. But dopamine, which is affected by drugs, also regulates the function of cortical brain regions, in particular in the frontal cortex, that are necessary for self-regulation and for assigning value to, to stimuli or situations. With repeated use of drugs and hyperstimulation of the dopamine system, what happens is the natural rewards lose their value at the expense of an enhanced value for that drug this results in the inf- behavioral inflexibility that basically overcomes frontal areas of our brain. And that makes it very, very difficult for them, for a person that's addicted, to be able to overcome the strong, strong urges to take that drug because they have two systems that are not working properly. So if I understand that right, are you saying that when someone is taking a drug, their reward centers will be excited and stimulated, but after a while, they will become sort of less responsive or less active so that without the drug, they feel pretty miserable. But then over time, taking the drug actually then also impacts on these other areas of the brain you've been talking about, which really starts affecting their decision-making, their ability to take control to, to stop taking the drug. This is correct. And you saw it in that clip that the journalist is questioning it. It's, it's a choice. And that while a person, and he says it in, in, I can control the first decision the, the, before I take a drink, I can control that. I'm in control of the first drink. Mm. And so I do all these things to protect myself from not having the first drink. Sure. Mm. But that once I have that case, drink, though. the allergy of the body kicks in. This is all documented mm. alcoholism mm. proof. Mm. Then... I, then I can't stop after that. Because of that, actually, one of the interventions that we teach patients, and, and actually many patients come at it on their own, 
is to avoid situations where they may be faced with the drug um, so that they, they don't have to put themselves into that state that they take the first sip or the first injection of the drug and they, and that triggers this compulsiveness and escalation. Nora, Matthew Perry uses this phrase, allergy of the body, when referring to addiction. And I hadn't heard that phrase before. It seems to be a term used in Alcoholics Anonymous. But I wondered if you thought there was any validity to that concept. Yeah, it intrigued myself, uh, that, that, that statement, because I hadn't seen it before. But in a way, it does reflect something that I think is valuable in the term, which is an allergic reaction is something that you not, do not control, and yet it's all encompassing. And, and one of the things that addiction has generated is a behavior that was a choice into something that basically becomes automatic. And by the process of automatic, it removes the ability for self-regulation and control. But overall, even though we know that the immune system is important in all of the physiology of our bodies in and of itself, it's, uh, it is not recognized as a key player in that transitions between taking a drug uh, with control versus the loss of control in addiction. So that's why, I mean, the way that I look at it, it's as a metaphor. And he was not a scientist. He had the living experience of what it is to not have that control. So if it actually spoke to him, then in a way it meant that it was a good metaphor. I wanted to talk about the risk factors for addiction. And that really, I guess, boils down to why is it that some people will get addicted and others others won't? Do we know who are the most vulnerable? Yes, we know uh, who are the most vulnerable. People with underlying psychiatric disorders, depression, anxiety. And, and there you can see um, where you taking the drug is making you feel normal. And I think Matthew actually refers to this in his book where he actually does say he did not feel good until he had the first drink of alcohol. And I think he was 14 or 16 years of age. I don't recall, but he was very young. And that recognition of how it is to have a sense of well-being immediately conditioned him to this drug. Uh, But we also know that people, for example, that have pain, uh, may be at a greater vulnerability if the, the medication, if the drug they take actually removes the pain because you are removing something that's very unpleasant. The other one is your upbringing. Uh, we know that um, individuals whose childhood were uh, full of adverse social environmental exposures that had um, trauma, neglect, um, discrimination, all of those factors, particularly occurring during childhood and adolescence, significantly increase the risk of uh, drug taking and addictions. And then there's the issue of genetics. And we know that, that uh, drug addiction runs in families. I was mentioning um, my maternal uh, grandfather, my uncle. Um, so I, I presume that I'm, I mean, I may have some of those genes that put me at higher risk. But I'm also come from an environment that has been so supportive and protective. And, and in that way, I've been very privileged that that may have provided me that resilience. So it's that combination of genes and environment 
that ultimately determines whether you will end up addicted or not. That's very interesting what you're saying about the how general this this can be around addiction, that it's not specifically, say, alcohol or cocaine or, or something else, that it, it may be a sort of a a general susceptibility rather than these more, you know, drug by drug, if you like. Maybe the actual thing people get addicted to is more determined by what they come across, what they have access to. That is correct. There is a common uh, neurocircuitry that basically is responsible for the compulsiveness, the impulsivity, and therefore it, it comes to your question. What drugs I choose uh, will be very much dependent on what becomes accessible to me. Right. And this also gives us an explanation why we see these waves. Right. And we see it. I mean, now I'm speaking in the United States where, uh, for example, in the 90s, cocaine was the drug that was creating the most havoc. And so it's not that all of a sudden that genes for cocaine addiction emerged. No, it was just that the market cocaine flooded the United States. Now we have opioids and fentanyl. And again, it's the same thing. It's not that our genes for opioid addiction have multiplied. It's that the drugs that are become available and accessible to people are opioids. Just finally, Nora, you're the director of the National Institute on Drug Abuse in the U.S., and of course, as you mentioned, the U.S. has been hit by a devastating opioid epidemic in the past few years, which seems to have been compounded by the COVID pandemic. What have you learned from your work during this period that you think will influence how we treat addiction going forwards? Yeah, I learned a lot. What my God. And I sort of like look backwards and say, oh, could I have predicted what was happening uh, right now? No. I couldn't have. And I think that uh, that lesson learned, which was basically accelerated by the COVID pandemic, is one that we can no longer forget. So in 2019, we have the highest rates of overdose mortality we have ever seen in the country. And in 2019, it may have been like 50,000 people were dying annually from overdoses. In 2022, there are 110,000. We doubled the amount of people dying in four years. What we were exposed to was an extraordinary stressful condition that basically also eroded the social support systems that our society has that provide some level of resilience to individuals and certainly support. In four years, we saw the erosion of the social system, the enhanced stress and uncertainties, the increase in the disparities that existed already between uh, groups uh, here in the United States that make them, of course, more vulnerable, and then the profiting of this situation by illicit drug markets to a widespread distribution of very, very potent opioids, synthetic opioids, fentanyl and its analogs that became very, very cheap. That was very cheap and accessible all over the country. And that has created a devastation. So this is the lessons learned. Yes, there are important factors in terms of the biology, the genetics, the development that are, are crucial. But as a society and as a population level, there are certain aspects that we need to address, structural aspects in our society that need to be addressed to actually control and prevent addiction. 
So this is something that the COVID pandemic made it black and white in my brain. Nora, it's been fascinating talking to you about all of this. Huge thanks for coming on. You are very welcome. Thanks again to Nora Volkoff and also to Science Weekly listener Abby for getting in touch to suggest an episode looking at addiction. If there's a subject you'd like us to dive into, please get in touch at scienceweekly@theguardian.com. And if you've been affected by the issues we've discussed today, you can find details of organisations that offer support on the podcast webpage at theguardian.com. This episode was produced by Josh and Chana. The sound design was by Mao Lissetto. And the executive producer is Ellie Bury. We'll be back on Thursday. See you then. This is The Guardian.